Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and I'm not going to lie. Omaha's dining scene has so much going for it that I don't have too many occasions where I find myself needing to drive to Lincoln. But there are two places that I have driven to in Lincoln multiple times to go solely for that place. And that is Casa Bovina and and the Mercado. Ironically enough, they're both located on the certified Piedmontine campus. And while I would happily drive to Lincoln again for either one of those places. For one of them, now I don't have to. And today we get to talk to Andrew Novak. He is here uh, from the Mercado Butcher Shop, which is open in Omaha now. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I should say welcome back to the show because I had you and Colin Kent up on the show a couple years ago to talk about your pop-up all in time which we'll, we'll touch on during this episode, but I do want to start off with Certified Piedmontese and with the Mercado. Now, just from a high level, I mean, they sponsored this show. I've talked a ton about Certified Piedmontese on here. I've had multiple people from Certified Piedmontese on this show. I'm a huge fan of the brand, but in case somebody's listening to this and is like, this is my first exposure to Certified Piedmontese, what makes this company and this breed of cattle different? Well, um, you know my culinary background. I've played with a lot of beef yes. in the kitchen, both Wagyu, now Piedmontese. I have a pretty good idea of what top quality beef would be. And I was singing the Wagyu song for years and years and years now, and here I am with a certified Piedmontese <laughs> shirt on. And I'm singing a whole new tune. This Piedmontese beef is such a special product. It is so full-flavored. And let me emphasize tender. And that's really the word for it. It is just such a beautiful, rich, beefy, tender beef. It's a great way to put it. And the thing that's stunning is how healthy it is alongside just that flavor. Like, normally you, you have to sacrifice one of those two things. That, not right. necessarily, but generally when one goes up, the other goes down. With with certified Piedmontese, it is just like full flavor, but basically like the macronutrients of salmon or something similar to right. that, which is just mind-boggling to All me. the protein, less fat, but still beautifully full-flavored. Mm-hmm. It's not lacking in that department. Mm-hmm. It eats right up next to prime beef, 
all day long. Now, we don't grade through the USDA. We're not technically graded. But um, if the USDA graded on tenderness, I think we would be a, even a skosh above Wagyu. I really do. It's a special product. What was your awareness of certified Piedmontese before you started working for them? Like, is this is it starting to generate a little bit of buzz in kitchens? Um, not as much as I'd like. I, th- I still think everybody's still on the Wagyu train, and I'd like to see a little transition towards, you know, a, a grass-fed uh, Piedmontese product. Like we're, like we're talking about, you don't need all that fat in your steak. In fact, you're going to feel a whole heck of a lot better after you eat it. You're not going to be all logy holding your belly saying, oh, my goodness, like, oh, you know, I might actually have dessert. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've never heard the word Logie before, but it like as soon as you said it, I knew exactly what it was. I don't know it's if exactly I could define it, it like. but exactly. That's just how you feel. Yes, every, everyone knows that feeling after a big lunch where you're just like, should I go back to the office or do I just need a nap? That's Logie, I think. Logie, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Okay, so let's talk about the Mercado specifically. So there are three locations of the Mercado now. The first one opened in Lincoln in 2020. Then one opened in South Lincoln, and now there's one in Omaha. And obviously, you know, kind of the the crown jewel of the Mercado is just that display case, displaying all the beef, all the certified Piedmontese products. Seeing that beautiful red beef. Yes. Never frozen, super fresh, locally sourced. We're a never, never, never program. This is... No, no antibiotics, no hormones, no vaccines, you know, ethically raised, grass fed. How many good words can I put behind this? You know, <laughs> pretty, pretty good words there. But like, and, and we're definitely going to talk more about the beef, but I want to, I, I want to lay out that this is more than just like going to, you know, the butcher shop and saying, okay, give me, you know, six steaks or whatever you guys have seafood and pastas and freshly baked breads and condiments and i mean i'm sure you could describe better than i can but it is like when it's called the mercado like a market that's very well described this is more like going to the grocery store than just going to the butcher's section of the grocery store there's a lot going on at the mercado yeah yeah i like to use the word boutique butcher shop we carry (laughs) we carry a lot of uh a lot more than just beef, like you mentioned. Um, we uh, source all of our um, fresh baked bread from the bakery in Lincoln. That team does a great job. They're down the road. They're going to be doing pastries for us once we figure all of that out. Um, they also make all of our gelato. I also want to reach out to some like local creameries and potentially carry some of their products. I have an opportunity to uh, expand our product line. So um, I have a lot of coolers to fill, and uh, I like to um, keep it as locally sourced as possible. I'll be in contact with a lot of uh, local businesses in the in the near future to try and make this uh, the best butcher shop it can be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, the Omaha Mercado is still kind of it's leveling up. It, it's finding its its personality. Like when when I visited, I visited about a month ago or so and picked up some awesome stuff. But you were telling me about some of the future plans and just what this place was going to look like. As as we look at what the Mercado looks like when it's fully built out, like what can people expect when they come in? Well, now that we have all of our permanent refrigeration, our freezers, the meat cases in, um, 
like I mentioned, our product line is going to expand substantially from what you saw. More cheeses, spreads. Um, we are looking into a local cold-pressed juice, and I uh, spoke with uh, a local chocolatier. Um, I want to push Tony Encontro and Lucas Severson and their uh, charcuterie that they're doing for Piedmontese. I want to carry their whole line and just have a beautiful charcuterie cooler. The sky's the limit right now. They're just waiting to be filled with whatever beautiful products, honestly, we would like to carry, which is really fun on my end because I've this is my first run at retail. I've never done anything like this before. I've been drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> I really have been. It's been a crash course jumping out of the kitchen and learning a whole new avenue in this industry. It's different. <laughs> it, like... I'm so curious, and we'll get into this more when we talk about your background, but what has that transition been like for you? Because I'm sure it, there there are some pros where you're not just you know on your feet cooking all the time. I'm sure the hours are a little bit more agreeable. But, yeah, at the same time, it, it's something that's totally different. Like, you're still in the food industry, but it's a totally different side of the food industry. It is. It's, um, it's learning how to... But learning your market and learning what what on your shelf is, you know, uh, what the public is going to want to want to purchase. It's it's a it's kind of hard to gauge what the community really wants, and you just have to figure out what your target market is and what's moving. I don't know. It's not grinding over a stove and you know trying like cooking for 200 people in a night going home super sweaty and tired it's going home and thinking and planning for the next day in an entirely different way it's mm. it's been a weird transition it's a different kind of stress it is it's mental less physical i i know you're still new in this and the omaha location is still new but when you talk about you know figuring out what a market wants and uh, you know, just trying to decipher like the market's personality. Is there anything about the Omaha market that has surprised you that stood out? You know, anything along those lines so far? Uh, Omaha is not afraid to spend money on beef. That <laughs> I definitely got into the right, the right industry and, or at least this Avenue <laughs> Omaha. We are beef eaters. That is not a secret. It's very, very true. Now, something that I'm really curious about, the main location of the Mercado, the one that's on certified Piedmontese campus, every Friday does this thing called Fired Up Fridays, where not only can you come in and you know get whatever meat or whatever meals you would want for throughout the week, but you can come in and it's almost like a pop-up restaurant mm -hmm. every week. You obviously have significant pop-up background and experience. Is Fired Up Fridays something that we might see in Omaha as well? Well, that's actually taken care of by the ready-to-eat meal team. They do a fantastic job. You can actually find all their products in our coolers, uh, like a take-and-microwave ready-to-eat meal. I haven't tasted one that's a miss. Those guys are talented. So they, um, you'll see all that advertised on our social media. And uh, uh, they, the plan is, down the pipeline, to have those Fired Up Fridays periodically in Omaha. Nice. If I were to spearhead one of those, that might be fun. I'd have to talk with those boys, but I, I don't want to take that away from them. That's that's their little thing. Sure, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm just excited to hear that it's going to be here because 
you know, that social media post gets sent out on Thursday and they're like, oh, we're serving people, Phillies today. Oh, people get excited. I'm so surprised at how many folks have come through the shop and said, hey, you're going to do that fired up Friday, I hear? <laughs> it, it has quite the reputation now. Okay, so tease some taste buds here. Omaha is a beef town. We love our beef. Yes, we do. What are some of your favorite cuts or things that you would suggest if somebody's coming into the Mercado for the first time and they're like, Andrew, be my Sherpa here. Direct me. Where are you pointing them towards? Uh, I always like to direct people kind of off the beaten path. Everybody's had a ribeye. Everybody's had a New York strip, you know? That's why when you walked in the shop and you said, what would you like? And I said, well, let me show you this hanging, hanging tent. Oh, my God. Right. Those steaks, yes. And then you even sent me a message afterwards and you said, man, that steak ate like butter. It's because I know things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I almost don't want to talk too loudly about it because it's like it, there's only two that come off of every steer. So those are, those are pretty special. But it's referred to as a butcher's cut because not everybody really knows about them. And that's why I like to introduce people to those cuts. Or like a chuck eye, the center of the chuck. It eats just like a ribeye, but it's coming from a working muscle. It's so it's going to receive more blood flow. It's still going to eat delicious and so, so tender. It might have a little more connective tissue in there, but I'd argue it even might be a little more full-flavored. Andrew, I think you might be good at this job. I think I might be. I think I'm, I'm learning I'm not a bad salesman. <laughs> you're, you're very good at describing and making this sound delicious. And on the non-meat side, I mean, you've told me previously the focaccia bread, and I've had it. I am a full supporter, but, yeah, the focaccia bread is something that is worthy of legend. And I believe, oh, man, I don't remember if this was you or if it was somebody else in the shop, but I'm giving credit to somebody Somebody mentioned making a pizza out oh, yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Holy cow, that's a game changer. It, it bakes up. You cut that bad boy in half, it bakes up like a pan pizza. It's pretty silly. Phenomenal. <laughs> so I want to get it, I want to get into your background here. Okay. Uh, how did you get into cooking originally? Hmm. Honestly, I started front of house. I was um, serving at the Olive Garden, I'm 18 or 19 years old, out in Lincoln, and I absolutely hated it. And I saw how much fun the guys in the kitchen were having. And I'm a rare case. And I decided to actually ask the staff. I said, well, would I actually be able to work in the kitchen? I am miserable out here. And I I honestly didn't enjoy it at all for a long time, to be perfectly honest with you. I worked in uh, some large corporate kitchens um, like the Olive Garden and – Cheesecake Factory until um, I had landed a position at Happy Hollow Country Club and I had seen some wine dinners. And that is honestly what really inspired me. I was like, this is a different side of food. This isn't just turning and burning in a kitchen. There's some creativity behind this. There's thought. There's intent. Um, And that's when I got enrolled in culinary school, actually. I'd spoken with my chef, Jason Hughes, and uh, the sous chef, uh, Juan Lupercio, uh, Lupercio, very influential in, in my career. Um, I credit a lot of just my basic cooking skills to Juan. I owe that man a lot. Juan, if you're listening to this, you're the man. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, after after that, it was just kind of full tilt in the food industry. I really did fall in love with it after that. And it's kind of funny. I just was grueling along until something had really clicked with it. And I said, wow, I'm going to actually make a career out of this. So you mentioned 
you know, at Happy Hollow, like it was the creativity, it was the thoughtfulness that kind of sparked something new in you. I, I mean, is that something that you just recognize day one? Like you get in the kitchen, and you're just like, whoa, these people, you know, we're not just throwing out another chicken piccata or, you know, uh, fettuccine Alfredo or whatever at Olive Garden, but there's, there's intention here. There's like people are thinking about how this plate is getting put together. I guess what was it that really got those gears turning in your head where maybe this is something that I'm actually interested. It's not just a job, but like, I, I like this self-expression, putting, okay. your, you know, seeing yourself in your food, right? Like seeing a thinking, having this idea and seeing it from start to finish. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it's the best thing you've ever tasted. It's, it's exciting. It's, you know, it's uh, just lit a fire inside of me. It really did. <laughs> um, what do, what do you think was your biggest takeaway from culinary school? Culinary school. Mm. The funniest thing is, it sure they're going to teach you all of these techniques and you know like very classical, very useful things. But I, as far as cookery, the actual application in the industry and like outside of school is when I did that sort of learning. But in school, I I really started to um, kind of button down a little bit learning how to deliver on time and, you know, being, being accountable and, you know, all of those things that people talk about with professionality and presenting yourself as a prof- professional. I did a lot of growing up in that regard, you know, that in, on the other side of culinary school, I got thrown into the wild immediately. I was a sous chef at um, uh, Monarch Prime and Bar for a year there. I helped Chef Patrick open that place up. And what a whirlwind. Oh, my goodness. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Literally, first day, my first day, I walked into the kitchen, and they had just removed all of the old equipment. And I was standing there with Patrick looking down this absolutely bare kitchen. And he said to me, where do you think we should put everything? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> where do you think we should put things, Patrick? I, I'm, a, I'm learning here. <laughs> uh-huh. But that's part of it. Fake it till you make it. I think that was a big part of it. It forced me to, like, just throw myself into the fire. That's a big uh, – I learned that way, I suppose. You just have to get in and get your hands in and get your hands on it and do it. Well, and that's something that I think is really interesting because I feel like I've always kind of felt that, you know, there's the two two schools of thought of whether cooking school is something that should be necessary or if it's better to just learn by doing. And I feel like the more and more conversations I've had recently, it's tended more towards the latter where, yes, you can definitely learn some great things at culinary school, but it's it's learning in the wild. It's jumping in and just you know, you just got to figure it out on the line sometimes. If you were to go back and do it again today, do you think you would tell yourself, yes, go to culinary school or no, just get out there and do it? Oh, I would go. I 100%. Okay. I am in full support of, of that culinary school. They have, they're incredible instructors. Like I have, I had an, just an overall really f- fun experience. And also, the, is this know? at Metro? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I figured, but one to confirm yeah i mean there's some instructors that i still quote you know i have some of their little their little ramblings that roll around in my head today like chef solberg he's probably one of my favorite chefs that i've bumped shoulders with and um 
I'll just share like one fun story. There was oh, yeah, like do it. one one day after fine dining, it was a really bumpy service, and uh, he said, "You know that was that wasn't exactly the way that things were supposed to go tonight." But let's uh, let's cheer everybody up, and we did a blindfolded omelet cookery. No joke. We paired up, and he, we put a uh, blindfold on our partner, and we had to walk them, like guide them around the kitchen, and start to finish. Go get the eggs. Go get your bowl, whisk, spatula, butter, everything, um, and cook an omelet absolutely blind. And that was, I mean, just like those little experiences that like, you hold near and dear to your heart. I wouldn't take it back. No, I would definitely definitely encourage anybody who's aspiring to be a chef it's it's good for you get in school do mm-hmm. it <laughs> okay that's great I, I love metro and i've had all kinds of chefs and restaurant owners on here that started there and have nothing but great things to say about it so yeah i'm a huge supporter as well uh okay so let's get into monarch prime i mean you mentioned you just it sounds like you almost felt like you were drowning at the beginning i mean it's oh, just we like were. What, what the heck are we supposed to do like how how do you start a restaurant when you're at that point? Two million ideas all being thrown at the wall at the same time. What sticks you keep, what falls to the floor, you kick it down the road and you forget about it and you just have to move forward. If I I mean it was it was a huge learning experience. Just getting the menu off the ground and getting our in room dining service off the ground because we were connected to uh, Hotel Deco. So we had to figure all all of that out, and then the banquet side of things because we had a giant banquet banquet hall on the other side that Jared Constantino was in charge of, and um, you know just figuring out all. It, it's amazing how many pieces there are to lay down in that puzzle, and I'm I mean I'm going through it again here, opening up this butcher shop. It's amazing how many things come up, and we're again now in our quote unquote soft opening, official soft opening. Um, uh, there are things that are going to go wrong. You have to adapt and overcome. You just are, have to expect to experience some problems. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, opening a brand new restaurant versus opening a butcher shop, especially one that already has established locations, those are two very different things. But as you look back, are there are there things that you take from that opening of Monarch that and maybe it's just lessons. Maybe it's not just straight applications, oh, but things that <laughs> that come up now where you're like, okay, I remember that. We're not going to do that again. It's, yeah, 100%. Just drawing from those experiences. Um, and like I said, being able to adapt. Adapt and overcome. Uh, so I don't know if there was a gap, but... The earliest that I could tell, at least from your social media, was working at the boiler room. Mm-hmm. Was, did you go straight from Monarch to the boiler room? I did, yeah. What drew you there? Chef Tim. I staged one night, and he honestly offered me a job. I was very flattered. I, wor- I was cooking on that, on that line that first night, and I said, wow, this place is cool. As you know, <laughs> you know the boiler room is an absolute, phenomenal. an absolute gem. And that's a direct result of Chef Tim Nicholson. I mean, he is an absolute savant it's the only word he's been nominated for multiple james beard awards i mean the boiler room anyone who's been you know how special that place is but what was it i mean you know you talk about he's he's the difference what is it about him 
that specifically made him such a special chef to work for? Oh, he's just a very patient man. He put up with all of our shenanigans, and he I never saw that man yell once. He plays the disappointed father very well. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not make, mad. I'm just disappointed. Oh, he, he knows how to run a kitchen, and, I mean, he helped me move my stuff out of my apartment what, like three times over the over five and a half years of working with that man. He's just a down-to-earth good human being. And I think anybody that's come across his path would agree with me and worked in his kitchen specifically. He's a very agreeable man to work for, and that restaurant is very reflective of that. And what did that restaurant teach you from a culinary level? Oh, man, it was just an absolute playground, especially once I'd spent enough time with Tim and I learned what kind of cuisine that he wanted to present to Omaha, and I learned his style. We kind of, he, he gave me a lot of freedom, especially towards the end there. I, I was uh, his sous chef for about a year and a half, and j- it's just a culinary playground. There, there are no no's at a certain point. There, you know, there may be a point where you say, well, okay, maybe we're getting a little off the rails here, but that's a cool idea, and it takes you down another rabbit hole. And let's try this. Let's try that. There's, it's uh, like I said, that self-expression. It's a powerful thing. It makes you feel really good when you have a, you know, you have an epiphanous idea, and then you see it come to fruition. Wow, this is so beautiful and so delicious. It's it makes you feel good. What's an example of that? An epiphanous idea. <sighs> My shirodashi maple glaze. Um, I did a glaze bone-in pork belly course. Um, first course when I was at Boiler Room. And to this day, it's hands down the most umami and delicious thing that I've ever come up with. It was just an idea like, oh, can I reduce this maple syrup down to a, an even thicker syrup? And I'd been playing a lot with this shirodashi and I stumbled across something magical. I shouldn't even be talking about it. <laughs> I should. I have no, that's actually one of my rules. I have no secrets in the kitchen. I mean, if you want to know something, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, keep going. I want to hear more about this thing. Um, what's another good one that I came up with over the years? Um, mm, just my overall uh, meat cookery I'm pretty proud of. Uh, having the opportunity to play with so many different proteins at the boiler room. Lamb, pork, beautiful pork from TD Nietzsche. Beautiful beef. Yes, Wagyu from Morgan Ranch. I'm not trying to talk against Piedmontese. I would... Bold, bold can be great. Exactly. The, it, Morgan Ranch is doing an outstanding job also. I won't take anything away from them. They're just two totally different animals, really. Um, but learning how to work with every part of these animals and not just working with every part of them, but making them outrageously delicious and delectable hey there listeners we'll get back to my guest in a minute but i gotta remind you one more time about certified piedmontese anyone who listens to this podcast or follows me on social media knows that i enjoy my fair share of decadent meals and delicious desserts and that's why it's really important to me to eat really clean between big meals and that is one of the main reasons i love certified piedmontese Piedmontese cattle have extra muscle mass, which allows them to maintain a rich tenderness without much fatty marbling. In fact, ounce for ounce, certified Piedmontese beef has fewer calories and more protein than salmon. Don't believe that healthy food can taste this good? Just try it. 
When you order off certifiedpiedmontese.com, use the promo code HOPPEN, that's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, for 25% off your order. You will taste the difference for yourself. If you are looking for steak, roasts, tenderloins, bacon, and more, check out certifiedpiedmontese.com and experience the Certified Piedmontese difference today. And now, back to my guest. Uh, when you came on the first time, you you and Colin talked about something that I thought was really interesting, and it was that because Tim kind of gave you guys leeway and gave you guys some creative expression, that made you so much more dedicated as employees. I think it reduces turnover. It, it helps, you know, when you're working those long hours on your feet, um, it, it, it just, it creates get better buy-in where you're not going to be, you know, probably as, as angry or, you know, as irritable or anything because it's like, oh, this dude is listening to me. He cares about me. Can you just flesh that out a little bit more? What does it mean when a chef really says, I trust you by allowing you to put yourself on a plate? It really speaks a lot um, of his character and his ability to to build people up. And I think that's a big part of it is, is seeing that, seeing that growth in his employees. That's a good word for it. And I'm sure he gets an outrageously amount of fulfillment of watching these chefs come from, you know, all these different backgrounds and watching them grow and seeing their career and their, their culinary styles. He didn't even mention that to me. He would be like, You'll find your style. You'll find your style. It'll happen. It'll happen. And it did. I, I found myself, especially uh, towards the end there when I was a sous chef, and I was running the pass, and I'm like, okay, I, I get to make a lot of calls here. You know, like, I would notice my plates looked a lot different than Tim's. It's not that, that he's an outrageously talented plater. It's just two different people, two different perspectives. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd just be eating the same thing at every single restaurant. Yeah, we're not all robots. Everyone is <laughs> no. going to have their own personal expression and yeah. way to plate things. How would you describe your plating style? Uh, very, um, uh, I like a lot of like even negative space. I would fill often like fill half the plate and then just leave the other half oh, yeah. like, totally open or just very, very little touches instead of trying to fill the whole space on a plate. Or um, I kind of like to play, like, color outside the lines a little bit, especially, like, if we, we had some wide rim bowls, uh, like putting stuff on the rim and stuff, for, and you're, it's kind of like a culinary no-no. You don't, you don't put stuff on the rim, and I'm like, well, I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> like, at what point did you start to recognize, like, your plating style? Like, oh, I, I do these, you know, as I'm plating things, I'm drawn to plating it this way, or I find myself, you know, doing these I, certain things. If I wanted to take a picture of it afterwards, I knew I felt good about it. And, you okay. know, I think there were those moments I had to have to pause in the past and say, all right, that looks pretty hot. <laughs> I like that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm so curious about working in an open kitchen because one of my favorite things i mean the boiler room is amazing you could put me in a pitch black room and serve me that food and i would have an amazing meal but one of my favorite things about the restaurant is it's not only an open kitchen but it's on the first floor of the restaurant and you can sit on the second floor and like watch everything that's happening and it is it is for a food nerd like me it is mesmerizing to watch how calm 
everything is. And there's, it seems like everything has purpose. Nobody is wasting movement. Tim is just doing his thing at the pass. There's not yelling. There's not running around. I'm sure that there are moments of that. And I'm sure that, you know, there's controlled chaos. Yeah, there's some everybody's feeling it in the inside. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure there's some stuff that happens behind the curtain. But what is it like to work in an open kitchen like that? Um, I actually found it just made me a sharper chef. Just that self-awareness at all times. Like, oh, we're being watched. This is a show. There's no cussing. There's no, you know, like you have to stay professional and clean and keeping your station sharp. It it just all around just made me a, a more efficient and just stronger chef every day. Just a whole nother level of accountability. That's a good that's a good word for it. Yeah, and you're in the public's eye. That it makes you think about how every little touch. Oh, I just touched raw meat, or you know, like this should be staying in a cooler because it's it needs to stay really cold, and just being super mindful of all those P's and Q's. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about All in Time, which yeah. was your pop up with uh, Colin Kentop. He's unfortunately no longer with us, but was a great great um cook and from what i understand a, a great man yeah but I miss, I miss that guy he was he was an incredible human and i'm very thankful for any and all time that i got to share with him he's he's alive in my heart yeah in all of our hearts i mean he touched a lot of people he was a good guy absolutely uh running that pop-up i mean we've talked about how much creative expression you had at the boiler room but i mean when you're doing your own pop-up everything's yours it's, it is ultimate creativity it's what? literally both terrifying and exciting <laughs> i mean you know you're you're at the mercy of the public <laughs> what what was all in time i guess it it's still kind of active you're yeah. you're, you're your last occasional pop-up was pop-up. april 19th so it's been a while but mm-hmm. but like what what's the concept if if you're describing all in time to someone um well curated upscale sandwiches i just we just really loved sandwiches. There's, it's a really open, open uh, template. You can make a sandwich taste basically like anything. There are thousands of sandwiches in the world. We just wanted to execute them at the best level, take all of the attention to detail that we had learned in the fine dining and apply that to sandwiches. <laughs> What's your favorite sandwich? Oh, the Cubano. Cubano all day. It's a perfect sandwich. It really is. I think, yeah, that would probably be in my top three as well. Yeah, very, very tough to beat. What, what's the best Cubano you made? Like, at, at all in time, would it just be traditional Cubano, or would you play with it and do, like, some fusion? Oh, we did a little fusion. Um, we saved all uh, – we actually did a little Cubano pop-up, um, and we saved all of the braising liquid from braising off our pork butt. We clarified it and made a consomme. And did kind of like a French dipper birria <laughs> meets a Cubano kind of thing. It was fun. I'd never seen anybody serve a sidecar consomme with a Cubano. Sounds awesome. It wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you've talked about, you know, how important that time with, with Colin was, especially now, you know, that he's no longer here and, and you get a chance to look back and have those memories. How important are those memories to you? Oh, I mean, I reflect on on that a lot. I've those are it's some of the best times of my life were with that guy, and yeah, doing pop ups is hard. That is no secret. We were we were working hard doing that. That's kind of why I have I've been uh, 
doing fewer of them lately. It's it's a, a taxing experience start to finish when you're, especially when you're working full time. Like, um, but uh, I I'm feeling more energetic nowadays. I've been wanting to uh, sink my teeth into some more of those experiences again. Like I have undeniably have more energy not working 12 to 12 and grinding in the kitchen all day so um i'd i'd expect to see some more pop-ups out of me stay tuned oh, that's exciting especially especially with this piedmontese uh piedmontese beef i think that would be a great way to promote my pro the promote the company i'm working for and also uh maybe make <laughs> maybe make a little side money you know never hurts sounds like a win-win to me right so I would assume probably 95%, if not higher, of the people listening to or watching this have never executed a pop-up themselves, planned a pop-up, anything like that. You just talked about how hard it is. Now, obviously, I'm not asking you to go into every detail because we'd be here for hours, but like, what makes running a pop-up difficult? What are, what are the things behind the scenes that us as diners, when we come and we just grab a sandwich and we're like, oh, this is so great, what are we not experiencing? Nobody realizes how much work goes into just moving food around. You go shop for it. You put it in your car. You move it into a refrigerator. You move it when you're when you're prepping it, and then it goes into a fridge to cool down, and uh, it goes into squeeze bottles. And how many times that you handle that food before it actually hits a plate? And you know how many different kitchens? Like, are you using a commissary kitchen or are you using your kitchen at home? Like uh, that we did a pop up. Um, Colin and I did a pop-up, and we literally took every drawer out of our kitchen, our refrigerators at home, and there wasn't a square inch inside of these refrigerators. <laughs> I mean, we, it was just stuffed to the gills. People don't realize how much food it takes to feed, you know, upwards of 150 when you're 150, 200 people. That's a ton of food. <laughs> and how do you know, like, how many to prepare for? That comes just with experience, you okay. know, like just understanding – how much your average diner is going to eat and like what you're putting on a sandwich that just comes with doing it over and over and learning how it's going to all unfurl as you move forward. Favorite all in time memory, favorite all in time memory. Oh, that's a good question. Probably doing our uh, brunch prop pop up at the flat iron. We were the first, uh, the first people to be in there since they yeah, had shut paid. down. Yep. And uh, just that day in general, it was just filled with all friends and family. That was uh, the last, ironically, the last pop up I did with Colin. Uh, so at least we went out on a good note, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you worked at Boiler Room for several years. Five and, five and a half. Five and a half. That's <laughs> even more than I thought. Oh, yeah, I, was, I mean, that's a that's a good run in one restaurant. That just goes to show you how excellent of a place it was to work, you know. <laughs> right. So how, how did the opportunity with certified Piedmontese in the Mercado arise? I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Lucas Severson. He was mm-hmm. our uh, prep cook when I had first started there. He did all of the uh, pig butchery. Um, and he had transitioned to Piedmontese to go work at the Mercado. Uh, I believe at the 84th Street location, he was there for a couple of years. Now he's doing all of the uh, Encontro charcuterie with Tony Encontro, so very happy for for them. They're uh, finally getting all that off the ground. But he 
heard that they were opening a store in Omaha and said, Andrew, you should throw your hat in the ring. And here I am sitting in front of you. <laughs> I mean, we're we're talking, you know, I think you said you were 19 when you started at the Olive Garden. Mm-hmm. So we're talking your whole professional life mm-hmm. has been in restaurants when Lucas brings this opportunity to you and it's like, well, you can be in the food industry but not in restaurants. What was your first reaction? Um, it was kind of a, I won't lie, the the idea of reducing the workload a little bit physically I, i'm 32 and i'm like dealing with carpal tunnel that just comes with you know handling a knife for hours and hours and hours it's like yes like it's a physically demanding job there is no secret to that you'll talk to any longtime chef and they'll say yeah my back hurts <laughs> you know <laughs> so having a little pullback from uh you know the workload physically and seeing seeing more time in, in my personal life. Like I've been doing some Frisbee golfing and seeing my friends and going to see seeing a lot more live music, things that I enjoy. That's, it's nice. It's, I'm not just married to a kitchen anymore. I think that's something that a lot of diners don't understand is just the time that is required to work at a restaurant, especially one that is, is of high quality as like the boiler room. I mean, yes, there's, service from whatever five to 11 or whatever it might be but you've got to do prep work and mise en place before you are actually working then you work on the line which like you said is a very physically demanding job and then afterwards you have to clean up i mean it is and you don't get a ton of holidays off you don't get weekends off weekends are when you're most busy so i mean it is a job that can really consume giant chunk of your life right it's demanding i'd refer to it as a labor of love yes you have to like it you really do yeah that's why it burns so many people out and they they see it they think it's something they would want to do but then they don't really understand how taxing it really can be because even outside of just the physical aspect of it you know there's that the other side of the self-expression, you know, you're putting yourself out to the public and there are times, Oh, I didn't like that. I didn't have a good experience. And then you start that lands right back on you. That's, that's hard. Just coping with that kind of stress. Mm-hmm. You're not going to please everybody. That's <laughs> impossible. Right. But now that's less of a, of a burden on you. I want to, mm-hmm. what are your responsibilities with, uh, the Mercado? So I am the official store manager of the Omaha location. Um, I'm scheduling, I've been doing all of my own hiring, which has been pretty fun. I've been hand selecting all of my employees. Very blessed so far. I have a very cool staff. Um, I'm in charge of ordering. Uh, I've lately been in expanding our, uh, merchandise, been, uh, talking with uh, Krista and our merchandising uh, specialists and figuring out what we actually want to put on shelves, which has been pretty fun. Just going through ordering guides and saying, ooh, this looks good. That looks good. Yeah, do it. Let's buy it. Like, let's, I think the public would like that. So, yeah, uh, whole, new, whole new bag of responsibilities. It's, um, yeah, that's... That's it. <laughs> Other than being able to like perfectly describe meat like you did earlier in this episode, because that's an obvious crossover. Because I care. I just, oh, I love, I love meat. I am a carnivore. <laughs> tell, tell me about that. Why? Like, what, what is it about meat that draws you in so strongly? Um, especially the butchery side of it. It's just, 
something I've always enjoyed breaking down and uh, processing these animals and learning how to use every little piece of that animal and honor that animal. It's, it's, um, it's almost primal. (laughs) That's a good word for it. I like that. Yeah. Is there anything about working in kitchens that you miss right now? The camaraderie, the connection between, you know, even between front and back of house, but especially that connection between your kitchen staff that's deep that's a family like that's just something that comes from being in the fire day in and day out and understanding like we're all here together and we're one team one dream that whole spiel it's that's that's a very very strong thing it's a family outside of your family mm-hmm. and i think that's why a lot of why it draws a lot of people in you know a lot of misfits and you know motley crew <laughs> we all fit in together now there was before you started working at the Mercado, you had a little bit of a crossover while you were still at the boiler room. I know that you're interested in bread baking and you've done a lot of bread baking and you did some bread work for Clean Slate Food Company oh, as yes. well. Very so, close with uh Jamin and Dylan and Amanda, Carl and Adrian. Yeah, I can like, name their whole staff. <laughs> Great people. And I, I, I want to talk about them real quick, but what what is it about bread? Like you just talked about how what makes you love meat. What is it about bread that draws you in? Um, again, that's just. I think everybody should know how to bake a loaf of bread. That should just be an innate skill. Human one on one, right? Like it's <laughs> you should be able to sustain yourself. It, it's 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 amazing how little ingredients go is into a loaf of bread. And how exceptionally delicious it can be. Water, flour, salt, yeast, thyme. You know, that's like sourdough. Boom. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a miracle. (laughs) I don't really even know how to describe it. But there's just there's this feeling of satisfaction that comes from making and eating your own bread. Like, all bread is great. But I've had times like... I've found this hamburger bun recipe that I like to go to, or my wife makes this amazing soda bread, the Irish soda bread, excuse me. We've made a couple other types of breads. And when you eat bread that you've made, like it's not like even like taking meat that I've cooked or anything like that, but it's like, yeah, I made this bread. This is mine. I don't know what that feeling is, but it is like pride. It's pride, but that's okay. Maybe that's it. It feels good. You say, Hey, I made this and it tastes good. All right. So I I know that, you know, you just mentioned you had a lot of hookups and a lot of friends at at clean slate food company, which is, uh, a, Everybody support them. They're great people. Fantastic people. <laughs> They've been on the show. I really, really like those guys. They've got a cafe uh, down in Millwork Commons. You can actually taste some of my bread recipes in there. I helped them get their bread program off the ground. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Tell me about that. How did you get connected there? Because you were still working at the boiler room full time when you were doing this. Yeah, that was just on my Mondays off. I would go and uh, just hang out with Jamin and Dylan and uh, put our heads together. They gave me kind of a loose idea of what they wanted like ciabatta and milk buns they wanted some sourdough and i said okay well let's make some unique recipes and i had some jumping off points and we um made them you know unique to the to their cafe so that i wasn't biting on anybody's recipes i wanted them to have have a unique and totally uh you know like a 
clean slate cafe. Their own bread. Exactly. Yeah, it's their bread. Um, it was uh, it was fun, honestly, just for me, just to learn the logistics, not only just to how to like take these recipes and scale them out, but how do we keep this bread fresh? How do, you know? And like over a, a week time, does it even make sense for us to do this? Is it going to be something that costs too much money? And like figuring out those sides of things. Also, it's not just making bread; you got to make money on it. You know. <clears throat> And how did that experience, how does that help you now in your current role? Not like bread making specifically, but some of the, like the logistics that you just mentioned. I'm sure that there's some carryover into this job at the Mercado. 100%. Costing and <clears throat> retail markup and all of that. It is a business. We have to make money. Favorite type of bread to make? Favorite type of bread to make. I had a lot of fun making ciabatta, especially like big batches of ciabatta. Um, there was... Uh, I think the biggest batch I made was like a 10,000 gram batch. It filled this giant, giant Lexan. And uh, after my third fold and after my bulk fermentation, I mean, this thing was just teeming over the top of it. And I was shaking it and just watching this enormous mass of fermenting dough wiggle around. There's something just satisfying to watch it. I really want wish that there was video of that. Like, I, just I might have fun it somewhere. I might have it somewhere. Maybe it, it might even be on my Instagram page. Ooh. It might be. Okay. I'm going to have to go back and check that when we're done here. <laughs> Is there a bread that you really want to master and just haven't yet? Master? Hmm. Maybe master is not the right word, but just a bread that you've really wanted to get down and you just can't quite, you haven't quite nailed it yet. I've always like really wanted to play around with some braided doughs. It's just something I've never done. It's not something I think I'm incapable of, but doing some really cool decorative like chalas and stuff like that, I think would be a fun thing to pin down. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll get you out of here on two questions that I like to ask just about everybody who comes on the podcast. The first one is what is one thing that you feel like diners don't understand about the restaurant industry that you wish they did understand um be kind to your restaurant staff it's a stressful industry it's i i I suppose that's maybe not so unknown but it's hard mentally physically it's it's a day in and day out thing it's a commitment to be a part of this industry sure we're making money but it's a sacrifice for sure. I, I think that's something that everybody should be aware of. You're going out and you don't have to do those dishes. You have people doing that for you. You didn't have to lift a finger. That meal was made for you. You should be appreciative of that, you know? Well, I think, and I, I agree with you completely, but I think like when people go out to eat, they, especially at a, at a restaurant like the Boiler Room, they are it's a celebratory experience. Yeah. And so they're thinking I shouldn't have to do anything. Nothing should go wrong. And if anything does, my celebration is being stepped on. And it's not like that at all. I think if we just be kind to one another and we're be, all be patient. Yeah. <laughs> we're all human. We're all spinning on the same rock. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, and what is your favorite thing about being a part of, Restaurant and now just food in general, just the food industry. Um, one more time. Just favorite thing about being a part of the food industry. Oh, favorite thing about being part of the uh, food industry. 
I think I had mentioned it before, um, that sense of camaraderie and that sense of family that just comes with, you know, that day-to-day grind, being in, being in those uncomfortable situations together, getting through it and saying, hey, we're a team. Like, we did this together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you for... Yeah, thank you, Dan. This has been fun. Yeah, thank you for, I mean, for many years of great meals at the Boiler Room and now what you're doing with Certified Piedmontese and, yeah. and the Mercado. I, I mean, it's just so cool to see this market come to life. There's so much good stuff there. I'm already excited to come in again and have you show me some new awesome cuts that I didn't even know existed and are just going to delight me and my friends. So... Yeah, people definitely go check out the Mercado. Um, Do it. I mean, there's, it's no secret. I'm a huge fan of certified Piedmontese. Whether it served me in a restaurant, whether I'm just buying it and cooking it myself, it, it's one of those things that you can't screw up. Even a dummy like me can make a good steak or something when they're cooking with a product this good. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Dan. And Omar, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.